Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. 602 is our number. I was listening to um, Tucker Carlson talking with Charlie Kirk about American success and families of privilege and how as the generations further themselves, the behavior does too. Focus is lost. Purpose gets lost. Entitlement and recklessness set in. And I was thinking about how in so many cases that can be true and is true, but not all. And in the ones where it isn't, it's by fortune of a good father figure, someone who takes upon himself the reins of instruction and responsibility and the teaching of morals, hopefully, especially by example. As I was thinking about that, in the co- it was done in the context of two things. One, our sporadic delving into these issues, but also two, this time of year where families are, if not frightened and separated by so many official Dr. Frankensteins who get used to the chaos they unleash, they keep unleashing more. This is a time of year where families reunite or unite over higher things, ideally centered around a time of focus on God and the blessings he's bestowed, including, hopefully, your family. Everywhere you go, you see ads embracing and promulgating two things, happiness or joy and family. It's inescapable. It dawned on me, corporate America still knows what sells and how to sell. So while the C-suite executives and millennials in those companies will denigrate higher things, tradition, God-inspired thought and action, a morality that contains the definite article, the, in front of the word truth, they still know how to turn a profit and who to appeal to, tradition and family, and joy or happiness. Atheism doesn't sell. Misery doesn't sell. And broken families don't sell. They exist, God knows. They just don't sell. Why? Because people, by and large, don't want that. They want their opposites. Still, I think. So you bet there is a division, a separation, a cleavage between what people may think in their daily political lives and an unarticulated truth and concession to it that it's not quite right or at least not quite universal or as universal as some would perhaps hope. An unarticulated truth that even the phrase, my truth, immediately conveys the moment it's uttered. It asks that there is some other truth I am actually opposing when I use the personal adjective my in front of the noun truth. Thinking about the central part of all this, I was thinking of fathers and You'll excuse me, my father as well. And I thought it might be a good idea to hear what main lessons you remember your father teaching you, or at least any lesson that you still remember. My thought about memories may be all wet, but I've always believed things we remember are important for some reason, some reason that may not be immediately apprehensible the first time it was uttered, but will become discoverable in time as it sits in our memory banks. Why am I bringing up lessons from fathers no longer with us? 
in a time of seasonal and ideally family joy and happiness. All of the above, plus one more thing. Absent fathers who led a moral or good or even a heroic life, perhaps even dying in brave battles. Absent fathers are always present, even if not physically so. Studies have shown children who lost their father in a war where the father is honored and remembered grow up just about with the same positive characteristics of those who never lost a father. Good fathers, alive with us or not, are always with us. To wit, my father taught me an awful lot, half or more by his behavior and actions, but I do recall three things he said to me I've never forgotten. Again, I'd I'd love to hear yours, but those three. I once asked him, it was on our drive to my first year, my first day of college, if he ever worried about succeeding and doing okay in life. And he didn't hesitate. He said, never. I just worked and studied hard and figured out things would work out. I treasure that. I also worry a bit whether this is a country that still rewards that. Daily, we read of stories where merit and hard work are being denigrated and replaced, if not shunted out of respectable society by profanating such things as white behavior or white morality or white thought. The second, I'll never forget the incident that led to this either. I must have been about eight, not not more. He said, quote, Seth, let me tell you something. Girls are different, and you need to be a little nicer to them than boys. Wham. <laughs> Later in life, I read a Talmudic exegesis on the phrase that God counts the tears of women, meaning we will be judged by how many times or how much we make women cry. And finally, there's a ton more, but finally, because I'm just starting with these three that are at the top of, the, uh, top of my mind, every time I would leave town for or from a visit, he always said the same thing, go easy. I never asked him what he meant or where he picked that phrase up. I tried to find the origin of that phrase, go easy, and it obviously means to treat people well. If you look it up in Merriam-Webster, for example, the Cambridge, Cambridge English Dictionary has it even better, to treat people gently. My dad was a World War II veteran, fought in the Battle of Okinawa, occupied Hiroshima just after the bomb. And I looked for perhaps a wartime use of that expression. And I did find one dictionary that affixed it to a common phrase evidently in Vietnam as something soldiers said when they saw a friend killed in action. It was a version of rest in peace. They would say, go easy. I'm going to stick with the treating people gently meaning for now. That was what my dad exampled in his life. It can mean a lot of things, of course, from taking it easy in your own life to being cautious, but it just kind of defines itself as a good thing to say to someone, go easy. In the Book of Man, we wrote that Professor Waller Newell laments, that as a culture, we have never been more conflicted about what we mean by manhood. Many of our men today suffer from what might be called fight club syndrome. Newell explains, these are underfathered young men, many from broken homes. They are prone to identify their maleness with aggression because they have no better model to go by. If young men are cut off from the positive tradition of manly pride, their manliness will reemerge in crude and retrograde forms. 
So one might argue that in our time there is especially a need for guidance, and the important role of men for boys is particularly acute. Of course there are successes, and every day great boys are raised to be great men, but there are too many other cases as well. Confusion regarding manhood abounds, including confusion about a proper understanding of virility. Fathers are missing from boys' lives in devastatingly high numbers. Children are exposed to a dizzying array of cultural signals about what it means to be a man, signals both good and bad. Our society is moving forward so rapidly that it has forgotten much good from the past. And men are even converting into women, and vice versa, though I should say children are, and the culture is rewarding that when it's not encouraging it. And women are beginning to take the place of men in many ways. Women have now surpassed men in several categories that reflect economic and cultural standing. In American college, for every two men who graduate with a Bachelor of Arts degrees, three women receive a B.A. Women now dominate 13 of the 15 job categories expected to grow the most in the next decade. This has led some to ask, do we even need men? So what's wrong? Increasingly, the message to boys about what it means to be a man are confusing. The machismo of the street gang calls out with a swagger. Computer games, television, and music offer dubious lessons to boys who have been abandoned by their fathers. All kinds of culture often parades itself in a flamboyant display, challenge to traditional masculinity. Some coaches and drill sergeants bark, what kind of man are you? But they don't explain. The flickering cinema screen is filled with stories of men who refuse to grow up. Some 30-year-olds suspended in a state of permanent adolescence stay stoned on marijuana or other drugs and refuse to take responsibility in life, work, or relationships. But again, though all that is moving through and changing the culture, it's interesting, isn't it? When it comes time to take seriously the American people for the purposes of actually appealing to them and what they are willing and wanting to spend money on when appealing to the vast American populace as consumer, it's still faith, family, and happiness that they try to sell and portray. Too bad every day isn't Christmas time in America. One last thing. If your family table or gathering does get hot, heated, Maybe change the topic with stories of your fathers. Could change the dynamic there. Even if not, you know what? It's still just a good thing to do. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is our uh, anti-penultimate show before Christmas. And um, you know what no one called us out on, Bill? You do know, don't you? You know what I'm about to say, don't you? Were you thinking? Were you just thinking the same thing? We got no pushback on this. I don't want to sound Grinch-like. You know I'm not a Grinch at all. I love this holiday. I love Wishing people Merry Christmas. I love it when they wish it. I went to a restaurant today. They 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 um, they said it without me saying it first. <laughs> um, we got no pushback on the absence of Christmas music, and uh, 
I think people are getting their fill. If 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 there's a demand for it, hell, we'll do. Heck, we'll do it. Ooh, whoops. That's maybe that. That's maybe why we need Christmas music. Whoops. Um, yeah, we'll do it if people want it. But I think people are getting enough. Uh, we just we just decided not to do it this year, but we can. We have the technology. John Podhoritz uh, is an interesting guy. Um, he's the editor of Commentary Magazine. I'm more apt to quote his dad, Norman, who uh, I know them both. I know his dad a little better, actually. Uh, but John himself is quite an accomplished author, writer, editor. And um, he was a former speechwriter, so he gets this stuff. He was a former speechwriter in the Reagan White House. So he kind of gets this stuff. But he had the single best column on Joe Biden's speech yesterday I've read. And I just I have to share it with you. After Because I had so many of the same thoughts, especially about the speech itself. I can't speak to what he's talking about in New York, which we'll get to in a moment. After President Biden finished his almost insanely repetitive speech on COVID, he literally said every single thing three times over. Did you notice that, by the way? He did. I was listening to it and I thought, didn't he just say this? Is there an error? Anyway. He literally said every single thing three times over in a manner that suggested three different speech drafts had been prepared and all three were simply fed serially into the teleprompter, though they were entirely duplicative. Asked by someone in the media why it took so long for his administration to get serious about providing home exams and other forms of COVID tests to the American people, he snapped, come on, what took so long? It didn't take long at all. What happened was the Omicron virus spread more rapidly than anyone thought, close quote. He said that yesterday. What happened was the Omicron virus spread more rapidly than anyone thought. This is a hilarious untruth, so brazen that you have to admire Biden for even attempting to get away with it. Once Omicron was detected in the fourth week of November... The world went bananas precisely because it was going to spread rapidly. That was the reason everybody was afraid of it, because of its potential virulence and the fact that it seemed almost designed to elude and defeat some of the vaccines being used worldwide to combat COVID. Here is one representative quote from The New York Times on, night, on November 26th, quote, just two days after the world learned of the variant, the World Health Organization officially labeled it a variant of concern, its most serious category, the first since the Delta variant, which emerged a year ago. The designation means that the variant has mutations that might make it more contagious or more virulent or make vaccines and other preventive measures less effective, close quote. During his covid Blather, Biden went on to claim that if he had said in November it would spread as rapidly as it has, people would have replied, Biden, have you been drinking? Well, that would be one explanation for why he slurred every third word in the speech. In fact, no one would have thought he was drinking had he said this, since that's what everybody was saying would happen. The truth is that he and his people didn't do anything about testing then because, well, who knows why he didn't. We need a Bob Woodward book to explain it to us in a year's time. For now, it's enough to say Biden didn't act. And right now, nationally, you cannot get your hands on a home antigen test to save your life. Go ahead. Give it a try. 
Go to every website in America. Here's what you'll see. Out of stock, sold out, delivery by Jan 10. Trust me, I spent an hour at it Monday and two hours at it Tuesday. They're all gone. Poof. And guess what the television COVID hysteric doctors are blathering about? They're all saying, look, if you want to hang out with your family on Christmas, you better get tested first. Oh, really? Where the heck are you supposed to get tested? I got tested Sunday in Times Square in the cold rain. I got there at 8.45 in the morning. I was done by 10.45. When I left, the line was probably 300 people long. My two hours would have been six hours if I showed up at 10.45. Judging from what I saw on the New York streets Tuesday, testing lines are beginning to approach gas lines during the oil embargoes of 1973 and 1979. But wait, everybody. Here comes Joe Biden to save the day like Mighty Mouse. He's going to open testing sites, federal testing sites. There are going to be 10, count them, 10 whole sites in New York City beginning this week. Whoop to frickin' do. More than 8.5 million people live in the naked city, and 10 new whole sites are being opened up as the Omicron virus spreads like wildfire. <clears throat> it's like bringing a water gun to put out the Triangle Shirtwaist factory fire. Only here's the thing. Omicron gives every indication of being a far milder version of COVID than anything we've seen thus far, which is great news. And it's now the dominant variant in the United States. And we want the dominant strain to be weaker and less dangerous. Biden said this a little bit. Mostly, he spent the speech importuning the unvaccinated to get vaccinated. Don't get me wrong. It's good advice. Hey, even Donald Trump is giving it now, including the booster. But when it comes to Omicron, it's slightly beside the point. Because the reason Omicron is spreading the way it is right now is that, unlike Delta, it's infecting the already vaccinated. It appears it's doing very little harm to them, but it's infecting them nonetheless. This guy can give three speeches in one speech and still miss the point. My Lord, he's bad at being president. That is a great column. Now, there's this other thing I want to deal with. You know, I follow, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if I have more, follow, if I follow more people on Twitter than, I, than follow me. I, I just don't know. But I follow a lot of people on Twitter, some really, really, you know, very smart people. And you can follow them too. But here's the interesting thing. A lot of them are talking about people they know, including themselves, who got Omicron. Well, how the heck do they know that they have Omicron? The idea that this went from seven-tenths of a percent of the COVID cases to 70% in less than a month, how do people know that? You know what? I'll tell you about that. They don't. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 34 past the hour brings us our culture and economy segment with John Dombrowski, a dear friend and a great man at that. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning 
Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. And his own information-packed radio show is heard right here every Saturday morning. It's called The Word on Wealth on 960 a.m. at 7 a.m. Hello, John. Hey, happy afternoon. <laughs> happy afternoon. Happy Wednesday. Yes. It's our it's our anti-penultimate show before Christmas. Penultimate yes, is I mean, the day before. Curious. Anti-penultimate is the day before the day before. So. And I've been telling people that, of course, with our when they hear us on Saturday morning, this Saturday will be Christmas morning. Yes. And uh, it will not be a live show this Christmas morning. It's going to be recorded. But it will be but a I, show. But it will be a show. There you and go. We, we did a, some new new uh, information for everyone, so please tune in. We appreciate it. You betcha. So, Seth, we talked yesterday. Yeah, I was going to say, yesterday you were teasing issue uh, the issue. That's a radio term. You know it. Uh, we were teasing <laughs> that we were going to talk about the issue of, uh, yeah, commodities like gold and stuff, right? Right, right. And we did see a little bit of an increase in gold today. Uh, but it's been interesting as we follow uh, gold values and as we see what's happening in the economy with inflation. You know, it's always been talked about how gold was this hedge against inflation. But if we go back and we really look at the trends over the past couple of decades, it really hasn't reacted uh, as a hedge for, uh, you know, maybe since the late 70s, which is interesting. And now here we are in this inflationary period. And if we look at gold over the past year, we've seen the price of gold falling, uh, even though today, as I mentioned, we did see a little bit of a, of a jump on it. Uh, so it's really kind of interesting. to, And I would encourage people, if, if they want to buy gold in their portfolio, first of all, like any investment, you have to look at it as an investment and understand what's the reason that you're buying the gold. So don't just buy it because you think you should just have it. Buy it because there's a purpose for it, whether it's you're concerned about uh, you know, the weak dollar or you're concerned possibly, possibly about inflation or you're trying to diversify your portfolio. There are a variety of reasons that you might want to include gold in your portfolio. And there are a couple of ways you could do it. You can buy the hard asset of gold, like gold bullion or gold coins, or you can buy uh, funds, which are linked directly to gold. And if gold goes up, the fund will go up. If gold goes down, the fund will go down. Sure. So it, it works in direct correlation to the price of gold. But the benefit of buying it in a fund is you have much more liquidity. It's very easy to sell it or to buy it. So those are things for people to consider if they want to put gold in their portfolio. There are a variety of ways to do it. Talk with your advisors about that and um, make sure that you understand the reasons that you're buying gold. And if you're going to sell it, Again, why are you selling it, right? We're buying it for a reason. We're also selling it for a reason like any other investment that we would have. Interesting. Uh, you'd say the same. People are now beginning to tell me they're seeing ads, uh, a lot of ads, a push for silver as well. So effectively the same analysis? Same analysis, whether it's silver or any other precious metal that you may be purchasing. You can buy silver in a fund as well. Uh, and sometimes people, it's easier for people to buy some silver because gold value is around $1,800 an ounce. If you want to buy precious metals, sometimes that might be a little bit too much for someone to invest. So buying silver uh, is another way to play the, uh, the market. Um, and this way it gives you an opportunity to buy a lower amount, a lower value of a precious metal. Uh, and it's just another way to play, play precious metals. So silver or gold. I would put them in a similar category. 
And the phrase that there are hedges against inflation, generally agree with certain concerns, generally disagree with certain concerns. Well, as I mentioned, uh, it doesn't seem that it has been this hedge against inflation. If anything, it seems like real estate has been more of that hedge uh, in the past few decades versus, um, and even now, I don't even want to say this, but I'm going to say it, but Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, for the uh, the more uh, astute investors out there today, it seems like Bitcoin is a place where many of them are starting to dip their toe in the water. Yeah. But I have to I have to caution investors out there: if you're not very familiar with Bitcoin, please understand that it is a very volatile uh, way to invest, and you have to understand the risks that are associated with it. It is definitely more volatile than gold has been. You want to talk to someone just like you before making those moves. I, I would agree you yeah, want to okay. talk to an investment professional <laughs> yeah. before you make those decisions. <laughs> okay. yeah. Thank you, Thank J.D. Thank you very much. You hey, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Thank you. Yes. Securities and advisory services offer to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finland Tipic and Investment Advisor, Grant Kang, Planning Services LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you so much. Hey, John. Before you yes. go, let the last words we say to each other before Christmas, let's do it again. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas Thank to you, you as well and to all the listeners. There you go. Thank you. God bless. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Again, I did that monologue about fathers, and if you have uh, any lessons or advice your father gave to you, I'd love to hear it. Um, I was thinking about my dad, and I was just there's there's I don't remember him ever suggesting any kind of music to me or even liking music. I don't know if that's true of that generation generally or not, but uh, he was part of that uh, World War II generation. Uh, it just dawned on me. It's interesting. Uh, there was there was just very little interest in music, except ex- except when I became a trumpet player or was learning trumpet and trying to become a better trumpet player. He was very, 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 um, very uh, uh, assertive in me listening to great trumpet players. He went out and bought me a lot of trumpet players' albums, records, and stuff like that, and took me to concerts. So he was supportive in that way, but he. I, I, it's funny, is music being such an important part of my life? It's I just I did not get that from my dad. Listener Deborah wrote in saying, "What a beautiful introduction today about our fathers who are no longer with us." In tears while driving, we're, thank you. We were both fortunate to have had fathers who gave us good advice. My dad too was in World War II in the Pacific Theater, building runways in the intense jungles. Since you asked, here are my dad's three pieces of advice. One, when I was sleeping in too late, in order to get to work on time, dad walked by my bedroom and said, don't aggravate those people. They will never notice what time you leave, but they will always know what time you arrive. It's a good point. There's something that my dad was always strong on time too. He, he thought it was rude to other people to be late. He never wanted to be late and he never was late to anything. In fact, sometimes if it were an airplane, he'd be a little too early. But he always thought it was rude because he, he, you know, someone is comporting their lives according to a schedule involving you. And if that's a contract, right? It's a contract. You don't just get to unilaterally break that contract because it's not convenient for you. Anyway, two, 
After having our twins, Dad took me aside and pleaded with me to stay home with the babies, as my mother did. I did. And recently, our son, who just had a baby himself, sent a text that read, Thanks, Mom, for staying home with me. Well, that ought to produce tears. That's worthy. That's tear-worthy. Three, every birthday, Dad would call and say to me, I remember this day X amount of years ago. It was a very special day. I always knew how much my dad loved and cherished me and our family. Um, that's good. A- anyone who wants to share any wisdom from their dads, uh, I'd love to do it. Love to hear you. Love to hear it. Um, 602-508-0960 is the, is the way to do that. I had mentioned how do people know they have the Omicron strain or variant. A lot of people are putting that up on social media. Let me go back before I answer that question and say something about the obsession with Omicron. It, um, Bill, maybe, maybe you can help me on, on memory here. And there's probably some way to research this, but I won't ask you to do it. I'm just, there probably is. But just off the top of my head, I think I'm right to say there is more discussion about Omicron than there is was Delta. Do you get that sense? It seems to be more saturating the discussion as if it's almost its own thing now. Omicron has almost not become a species of the genus COVID, but its own thing now. Omicron kind of replacing COVID. It's something Delta didn't quite do or achieve. And I'm just sitting here wondering, I was thinking about this this morning too, Words that have darker, evil connotations to just their very utterance. Omicron sounds a lot darker than COVID, doesn't it? It almost sounds like, I don't know, I may not be doing this right, but Omicron almost sounds like the evil character in a movie or a series, doesn't it? Or the evil city or the jail. It has a dark nefarious connotation effect to it, doesn't it? In a way that COVID just doesn't, and Delta doesn't. I mean, how do people know the word Delta? They know it from happy sororities, they know it from an airline, and they know it from uh, Delta Force, all basically good, important, and powerful things. (laughs) Yes, and Delta Burke, right? Major Dad's wife, right? Gerald McCraney's wife, pretty sure. You didn't see that coming, did you? You tried to do what I do with football. You can give one line, but you go to the next sentence and you're, don't get me started. Okay. All right. Um, Omicron just sounds, it it, it sounds more, um, yeah, it sounds more ominous. In fact, it sounds like the word ominous. Uh, so, So I think there's an element of that. Beware of making things worse than they are, which is a challenge I've suffered through since the 60s. Everything has to be the worst possible thing. Someone can't be conservative. They have to be a fascist. America can't be going through a pandemic like everyone else in the world. We have to be the worst. Uh, Everyone has to be sick. Everyone has to march around acting as if they're sick, walking billboards of epidemiological failure. The world is coming to an end as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. We're on the uh, eve of destruction. 
that's that's its own special pathology about the left in this country, wanting things to be the worst as possible. So why what when people say they have Omicron, uh, you might want to if it's a friend, you might want to ask how they know how they know they do. And it doesn't get us very far except to know, well, okay, it looks like it's the mildest strain, so that's a good thing. But if the point is to substantiate or validate the notion that it's now everywhere um, or it's that powerful through its virulence that people are saying it's Omicron and replacing COVID with the word Omicron, ask them how they know. How do you know you have Omicron? If we can take a little bit of a chip out of the toxicity of uh, of all of this, that's a good thing. How do they know? Prevention Magazine answers the question. The Omicron variant of COVID-19 has quickly taken over as the dominant strain of the virus in the United States. It was responsible for seven-tenths of one percent of COVID-19 cases on December 4th. We are now being told it's responsible for 73.2% of the cases. Should that not in and of itself make you just a little suspicious? That in four weeks we went from seven-tenths, not even, in less than three weeks we went from seven-tenths of a percent to 73% of cases? Um, Even if I'm wrong about that or if they're right about it or if I'm right and they're wrong, it's not important. What's important is how you know if you have Omicron. It's very hard to know, and I'll let you in on that when we come right back. Stephen Sondheim died this year. Midair. <laughs> okay. Ken is in Phoenix. Hello, Ken. Hi, sir. How are you, man? Uh, I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing just fine, sir. Oh, good, good. It's a beautiful day out here. It sure is. Today. It sure is. And uh, we're glad to be here. Um, well, when, uh, when I was young, well, my, my, my dad was good at wasn't around. And uh, my grandfather filled in awesomely for that job. And uh, and he taught me all kinds of things. He, he uh, taught me how to fish, how to, how, to, how to work on cars, and, you know, all the basics. And uh, one of the things he always say. Uh, it was uh, a good education never hurt anyone. But a lack of education on the subject when you needed it, that could hurt you. <laughs> Ken, Ken, that sounded smart, and I'm going to ask you to repeat it just a little more slowly because the connection isn't perfect. Can you say it again, the, the advice? It was, uh, it was, uh, if, uh, a good education never hurt, hurt Anyone. A great education never hurt anyone. But a lack of it, when you needed it, that would hurt. You know what? That's really smart. But the lack of one when you needed it can hurt. And you know what? You could even balance it out by saying, "Will hurt everyone." You know? Yes. You know, yes. with the, with the way with the way um, people can inf- influence and exercise power these days, if you're educated in the wrong direction, if your head is not screwed on tight, it can do more than just your own damage. It's not a victimless moral crime, actually. No, no. Yeah. Uh, she also has one more. Yeah. I, I always like that. Uh, give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish, feed him for his life. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
That's 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 great, Ken. Was your grandfather a teacher or an educator himself? Yeah, he was an iron worker. He actually helped uh, help build the Hoover Dam. Hoover Dam. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yep. I once took a yeah. tour of the Hoover Dam, and I remember someone on the tour said, was it once called the, um, wasn't it once called something else, like the Boulder Dam? And the tour guide said, nope, it was always the Hoover Dam. It's funny how some of those textbooks get that wrong. Wouldn't want to name something after a Republican after all. Bless you, Ken. Thank you. Don, hi. How are you, Don? I am doing great. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, and I'm going to break. Do you want to call back, or do you want to do it in 20 seconds? Uh, 20 seconds? Go. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant call back in 20 seconds. (laughs) No, i got to take a time of there. But if you can make your point in 20 seconds, I'll take it. Or if you want to call back, you're welcome uh, to. I'll call back. All right, buddy. I'm looking forward to hearing you. Uh, Call back in a half hour or so. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back.